You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Claude La Lumiere. His newest book is The Door to Lost Pages. Thank you for joining me, Claude. Thanks, Rick. Uh, Claude, this is such an interesting book because you combine mythic and surreal, and I love that it's set in a bookstore. <laughs> well, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually one of the first things that I started to write after I sold my own bookstore. So even though my bookstore is, was nothing like the bookstore in there, so, yeah. Well, I'd like you to just talk about the, the kind of mythic imagery you use, the gods and monsters. I mean, one of the things I, I thought about when, when I read this book is that it really uh, has, it rings deep in our souls when we read this. It's, it seems very primal, and it reminds me of the dreams I had when I was a kid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, what's the question exactly? I'm sorry. Uh, talk about just designing your kind of primal mythology. Okay, well, actually, at the time that I wrote that book, I was keeping a sketchbook, and I was just, I mean, I'm no artist, but I, I, was, I was doodling just to help me get into kind of a creative space, and a lot of the mythology from that book comes from those doodles. That's interesting. So uh, you you had a visual sense, and then you recreated that in text? Yes, exactly. Talk about uh, creating the main character in this book, because she's so engaging, and, and she really uh, helps get us into this world that's kind of like a shifting quilt of one reality to another. Right. Well, uh, when I wrote the first piece, which is Bestial Acts, which is actually my first published story, uh, story is chapter one of that book that came out in 2002, uh, and um, I, at the time I I didn't know that I was I was uh, I was starting a, a sequence of stories that would become a book, and she's um, and she was actually the second character who came to me, like the other character in that first story was the first character, and then I thought of her, and she um, and the more that I was writing in that in in that setting, the more she took over as the one who the, the I cared about most, that I wanted to know more about her, and I'm not quite sure where she came from, but I do think that she kind of fits. In hindsight, I realize she fits kind of that archetype of like Alice and Dorothy, of uh, you know of that. That that young girl who steps into another world and is and is in above her head and yet she she copes simply because she must, you know. And she's kind of a little bit like that archetype, I think. But I just in hindsight, I I didn't plan that. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that you describe her as a, as that archetype because that really is an archetype. I had never twigged to that before. And I think one of the things that's interesting is the way that these little girls manage to command the situation. Well, yes, I mean, that's what makes them so powerful. I mean, you know, like she's, you know, she's 10 years old. She's a runaway. She seems to have no resources whatsoever, but she's forced to find a hero within herself simply because she must, you know, and she rises to the situation for no other reason than, well, she has to. 
You know, one of the things, too, that's interesting about this book is the way the stories within stories kind of interlock because each of the characters, each of the gods and monsters has a story. And I love that kind of uh, braided chain plot, uh, the the way the chain braids itself into an overall plot. Right. Well, that comes, I think, in large part from my love of the Arabian Nights, which is also like that, a story within a story within a story, and then you like, and uh, and that's a form that uh, that for some reason really resonates with me deeply, and uh, and I so that's what informed that I think is my love of the Arabian Nights. Now, could you talk about just uh, when you uh, created this book? Did it just flow off the tip of your pen as we read it, or did, is this something that you like plotted out on an Excel spreadsheet? Because that's kind of—it seems kind of like really well uh, uh, woven. Uh, well, thank you, but no, it was uh, as I said at first. It was just one story, and then I started to write what became chapter three, which is dregs. And I, as I was writing it, I realized that I needed a bookstore. I figured, hey, well, I just created one for this other story. So then I figured, oh, this is the same, the same one as just a, as just as, as an Easter egg, you know? Because in that story, it's kind of it's more in the background, just there a little bit. And then, um, and then it just more and more, it just came to me. That, so I wrote, I think, the first three, four, like. Uh, chapters, not in order, but the first th- three or four uh, of the whole lot, uh, quite close together, and then I didn't, and and then I took a, a little break. Then I wrote three, three or four others a couple of years later, and and then when I re- when I wrote Lost Girls, which is uh, uh, the final chapter just before the Dakota. Uh, I knew, okay, I've just closed the circle now. It's over. It's done. Um, but I knew I want, I needed to, to, to close the book, as, as it were, on the sequence. I needed to revisit all the stories and, and, and form a whole with them. And it took me a while to have the distance to be able to do that. Uh, so after my first book came out I I decided okay now I'm going to tackle this because I need to get this out of my of my imagination so I don't think about it anymore I need it to be over and uh, so uh, I so I sent um, the uh, you know the raw stories uh, to um, my publisher and they said okay yeah this can work as a book then I then I I edited them to uh to shape them a little more into a whole. I still wanted to keep that episodic feel, that mosaic feel of these different perspectives that contradict each other a little bit. Um, but uh, but I did smooth, smooth some things out so that it so that it would seem more coherent as well. Well, one of the things that's nice about it <clears throat> is that kind of uh, dissonance that's built into the kind of the different stories. And I, I'd like you to talk about using that is that something you use as an effect deliberately because it seems like some of that is is built in there to give you kind of a shifting mirrors perspective yes uh it is quite intentional and and i think it has two purposes on 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 the one hand um you know when you ask two different people who experience the same event to tell you the story they're not going to tell you the same story and it's going to look like it's two different events and you know so i thought since all these stories are from different perspectives even though the, there's a central character but the perspectives shift 
uh, I thought, well, then since a perspective shift, the the perception will shift and things won't seem exactly the same. And there's also the idea in this book that we're not exactly at the same reality from story to story. For all we know, we're just in a slightly different alternate reality every time. So, so that allows me that freedom as well. You know, that's so interesting because when you were talking, I was, I was thinking of, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, you, the same man can't cross the river twice because he's not the same man and it's not the same river. And I think that's really true of stories, too. And that's one of the effects of reading this book is you realize that um, any experience you have gets, the second you've told it as a story, it's already changed to a new story. And that's one of the interesting aspects of this book. Well, yes, I think I kind of make explicit a, a little bit in this book the, the mere act of reading creates a new story so that I I don't think especially the way that I built this particular book I don't think two any two readers will experience the book the same way or come to the same conclusions about what really happens or you know or 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 see the, or see the levels of reality quite the same way I think everybody brings their own like their own story to it uh, that's one of the things again I as a reader that makes this book so appealing is that we as readers begin to realize partway through that to a degree as readers we are a character in the story as well yes which i think the uh the coda kind of brings that home <laughs> when all of a sudden the the author is 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 like suddenly part of the action yes now uh this is a kind of interesting uh, genre and interesting field are you going to kind of do you see yourself continuing work in this kind of mythic reader-oriented field, or are you, where do you where are you going next? Well, I certainly always work with myth. It's very rare that my my stuff doesn't deal with myth in some way, and I and at the same time, I also tend to intentionally work with the idea of leaving space for readers' imaginations to be teased, so that uh, it, it, it it's just. It's the difference between being vague and being ambiguous. Like you have to be precise enough not to be vague, but but not give too much that you can stay ambiguous, so that the reader's imaginations can actually fill in the gaps and they can create a, a story through the act of reading. And that and that to me is an important part of crafting a story. That's a great definition. I've never heard anybody make that distinction between being vague and being ambiguous. And that's a really important part of, of reading because as readers, it's all about the ambiguity that we fill in as we read. Yes, it is, but not being vague because a writer has to be precise. And it's, that, it's the, that balance between you have to be ambiguous and precise at the same time. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, you've you've done work uh, in anthologies, so I'd like you to just talk about, you know, your work outside of fiction. How your work outside of fiction affects what happens when you're inside fiction. Well, as an editor, you mean, yeah. right? Uh, well, um, actually, for me, uh, editing anthologies is just fun. I just enjoy it so much, uh, um, and I think the act of working with writers on their stories because I, I'm an active editor I really like you know I, I ask for rewrites I tweak I read the stories really carefully and um, 
uh, and the act of working with writers on their stories and talking about stories and talking about craft and all of that stuff that feeds my writer imagination I think it helps me it helps me stay in that mode and I'm guessing that what makes you such an entertaining editor to, to work with now what are you working on a new uh, anthology now yes I am uh, there's one that's um, called Biblioteca Fantastica that's coming out from Dagan Books later in 2012 and um, I'm reading for it right now uh, and um, there's a couple of weeks left until it closes and that's um, and that kind of came out of a little bit of from the door to lost pages as an idea because it's all the stories in that book will deal in some way with book culture or imaginary books or bookstores or things like that it it has to go it has the theme is it has to do with books or book culture in any way and it has to have a whiff of the fantastic it doesn't have to be fantasy per se it can be science fiction or historical or crime or anything but it has to have kind of that whiff of pulp and fun you know yeah and, and that's one of the things I think that uh, your work does so well is that um, we're you're talking about ambiguity when we read your stuff it's hard to pin down we don't think this is this is a horror fantasy science fiction we just think it's fantastic it's it's weird in the way that Memory is weird that when you can't quite remember something and you don't, did I do that or did I not do that? <laughs> well, that's interesting that you use that because I think about the concept of memory quite a lot. And, I, and, and that, again, feeds my idea of the conflicting perspectives and all of that is because I think of memory and I think um, th- that's astute that you brought that up. <laughs> do you have a good memory? Do you? I used to, but I think with every passing year, I feel that my memory is just trickling away. Uh, I used to be encyclopedic. Now I struggle to remember anything. You know, my memory's kind of going too, but I, I, I'm not missing it too much. <laughs> well, it's frustrating sometimes when, when there are things that used to come to you so easily, and now you struggle to try to remember. But in general, it doesn't affect my life too much, no. Well, you still know how to tell a good story. Uh, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Claude Lelumiere. His newest book is The Door to Lost Pages. It's for, out from Chizine Publications, and it's a gorgeous book. Talk just a little bit about the uh, the design of this. Okay. Well, um, uh, almost all of the books from that publisher are by the same artist and designer, Eric Moore. And uh, he... Um, uh, that was the s- second design that he came up with for uh, for that book. the 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 first one seemed too dark for me, too menacing, and I said, "No, it, the, it has to have a sense of wonder to it. It has to have, you know." And uh, then he came up with that final design, that kind of weird ink blot that is menacing, but at the same time, there's a brightness. To it, so there's that ambiguity of brightness and and menace at the same time, and I thought and and childlike. It's like childlike yet primordial. As he he kind of got all of that in that in that weird ink blot, and I thought it really worked well. Yeah, I've been speaking with Claude, Claude Lumiere. Thank you for joining me, Claude. Thank you so much, Rick.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thank you.